Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael Sassano. He is founder of Solaris Farms and of Somai Pharmaceuticals. We're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on generally in the cannabis space, specifically in the Nevada, Las Vegas area where they're based, just kind of understanding the dynamics of the market. I think one of the interesting things about cannabis is that we're, we're in this, you know, state by state, you know, kind of economy, state by state ecosystems. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to see how different states are playing out, what's happening, what we're learning from this kind of mass experiment we have on a state-by-state basis. So uh, with that, Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So let's do a little bit of background first. I always love kind of hearing people's stories, how they got involved in cannabis, you know, then we can talk a little bit about the business. What was the, what's the background? How how did you get involved in cannabis and and what was the impetus to start Solaris and, you know, do the businesses you've been working on? Initially, my background was investments. So I looked at this, the cannabis industry back many years ago as a real estate play and, and as an interesting business line that was definitely 
personally developing. By 2016, I felt that it was best that I actually build, operate, and run my own facility. So I started Solaris Farms with a, a few investors. And since then, my knowledge has grown to a point where you know we've been expanding. And I guess what was the, I always find there's a learning process <laughs> like in the, in the early days, you know, when you went to kind of decide, okay, look, I'm going to get involved in cannabis, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, find the investors, start the company. What were some key things that were kind of learning experiences for you through that process? Well, it was very underground at that time. As a matter of fact, up until maybe four or five years ago, we didn't even use emails or say the words marijuana or cannabis. You were always, you know, felt like you were doing something wrong uh, in a certain way. So, you were extra cautious and that really limited the flow of information. You know, in today's day and age, information is flying and you can easily just look on the web, call up a a multi-billion dollar nutrition company and get advice for your cannabis today. So, you know, information flow has definitely dramatically increased and, and improved our business. Yeah. And in terms of area focus, so Solaris Farms, I mean, give us a sense of kind of strategy. Was there anything specific you were trying to build in terms of a capability or in terms of a position in the market? Or I guess give us a sense of how you saw yourself fitting into the either local or general community cannabis industry. The idea at the time was to build a high-tech desert greenhouse that can uh, grow cannabis uh, with the extremes of high heat and and high and very cold colds in uh, the Las Vegas area. Many times throughout that years developing Solaris Farms, uh, you know, I kept thinking to myself, how insane is this to try to grow uh, you know, with an unforgiving <laughs> environment? Yeah, exactly. So, it's like all, all the worst conditions. And you were using a greenhouse technology as opposed to indoor uh, to try to get more eco-friendly and, and uh, conserve on non-renewable resource usage. Yeah. So, you know, but we were successful. And uh, we have some of the top bud in uh, Las Vegas, and we're represented at all the major dispensaries. And we still have a few little dispensaries to get into, but you know, all the major ones carry our product and uh, are confident in our delivery. Yeah. And what what was the trick? I mean, I you know, the, there's various growing strategies, right? I mean, you can be outdoor, you can be greenhouse. You're kind of in between where you're you can be indoor, you know, controlled environment. You know, the greenhouse is a little bit in between where you're still exposed to elements and to weather and temperatures to some extent, but you're able to control it. I mean, how have you dialed in or how have you kind of straddled this and figure out an effective strategy for growing in this kind of environment? Time and a lot of work and a lot of data to figure out what's the right what's the right mix. And like you point out, uh, you have exposure, so you have exposure to the weather. So you have to keep your environmentals constantly changing with the weather outside. Uh, there's never one day you walk in and say, "Okay, our, our computer systems are doing everything we want to do." You do have exposure to bugs. You don't want to use pesticides, so you're using natural beneficials and finding that mix during the season when it's good to use. You have a very low humidity environment, which is great from the standpoint of, of molds and, and aspergillus and things of that nature, which can fail your labs and hurt your product. But you have controls in place where you can use that lack of humidity in order to benefit you, yet still try to get the humidity in the lower stages and with the perspiration of plants. So it's a lot of trial and error you know, to make the environment work, but it really is the data and being able to look back and say, here's where our success, here's where our mistakes happen, and here's how we improve. Yeah. And and you mentioned in the beginning, you came out of this, out of real estate. What were some of the things that you needed to, I guess, the things you know you needed to know <laughs> or learn, and the things you didn't know you need to learn that later you needed to learn, you know, about making this whole operations 
work effectively? I mean, from from the real estate standpoint, you're developing a piece of real estate, you know, but you're developing a greenhouse and that greenhouse has to function inside the environments that you're, you're at. And you have to make sure in the beginning that you're setting all the right equipment uh, for your success, but then you also have to reevaluate all your equipment and redo it. So Whereas when you used to build a building and, and you would deliver that product, it would, you would be all set and you'd just be solving little problems. With the greenhouse, you're solving problems in that development on an everyday basis. Yeah. And, you know, from the investment side where when I came from Wall Street, you can analyze, you can analyze a business as much as you want. Um, yeah. But cannabis, when it's developing and you have heavy regulation that's changing and heavy taxation, well... No matter what numbers you put on that pro forma, it does not translate exactly as you thought it would be in the beginning. And you have to realize, you know, you have to give yourself a lot of forgiveness and stretch your timelines out so that you can communicate to investors in a smart way. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, uh, you know, I'm curious, given your background on Wall Street and, and, you know, kind of understanding really the capital structure and financing and how you make these companies work from a, you know, investor point of view, what's been similar, what's been different on that side of things? How, you know, give us a sense of the cannabis industry as from a financing investment point of view, what works about it, what doesn't, where are we on some of that? Well, I mean, the, the biggest similarities is whatever surprise you're going to get, you're going to get. So <laughs> make sure you deal with that. That's a constant in any in any business or investment that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, what's different is that we've seen a lot of cycles just in a short period of time. And even uh, if you look at COVID, the situation that happened to us, well, we learned that we were essential. Uh, that was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we learned that we can survive through this time and actually flourish. That was a surprise. Mm-hmm. So downside surprises that normally, you know, my investment mind would say, look, this is done. They're closing off all the businesses. Yeah. That didn't occur for us. And instead of going into a fetal position, we hit the gas <laughs> and we just kept producing more and more, more product. And we said, all right, let's lower the prices. And we were selling out every week. And it turned out that there's now a shortage in the market because some people, a lot of the growers took crops out of rotation, reduced the amount of product they were performing, cut some of their staff. Well, we hired staff, we gave raises, and we produced more. And you know now we have a backlog of product that we need to deliver, and we're at full capacity. Interesting. And was this just because you're a brilliant strategist and, you know, you saw exactly what was going to happen and, you know, knew how to play it? Or was this luck? Like, give us a sense of that decision making. Because it, it certainly could have gone either way, right? I think there was a period of time where a lot, well, a lot of companies in general, but certainly cannabis companies were like, oh, like we need to go into hibernation for six months while we figure this out. What allowed you to kind of be successful in that? I mean, I wrote a lot of articles, you know, day one, starting when they were just starting to close borders and was telling people strategies for taking crops out of rotation. And when it came down to talking to the board about, you know, what we should do, all the partners said, look, let's just hit the pedal. Let's just go. Let's just keep producing. And this will clear kind of like days of thunder, hit that pedal. (laughs) And by the time that, you know, rep clears, we're going to be through this. I love it. I love it. And uh, it, it worked out. I mean, I can't tell you that we didn't doubt each other, you know, and doubt our ideas on a, on a regular basis. The more yeah. news that came out, the more, you know, jittery we became. Um, but we held steady, you know, and... Uh, I mean, do you feel like it was a contrarian play? Like you were kind of like, hey, look, most people 
most people are going to react to this by, you know, kind of getting defensive, kind of, uh, you know, hibernating. And we have a strategic option here to go for it. And yeah, while it might be risky, if everyone else is going to go left and we go right, that could be a really great move for us. I mean, was it, how much of that kind of thinking was happening for you and your team? It was exactly that. It was a completely contrarian play. And yeah. uh, and it didn't come without a lot of nerves being shattered over that mm-hmm. time. You know, we played it cool, but we had to keep ourselves in check. It, it was uh, it was definitely a, a bold move. Yeah. Any dark moments? <laughs> when Any pieces of news that came out or something that you were like, oh, no, what did we do? I'm kind of curious on how that played out for you. I mean, it, it was quite heartbreaking when they initially said we're essential and the dispensaries can stay open. And then they said, nope, just a few days later, dispensaries are closed. You know, yeah. I did even have to come back and write follow up articles one or two weeks later saying, look, we've decided to go for it. After mm-hmm. I wrote an article just a week before saying <laughs> taking crop out of rotation is a very smart idea. Yeah. Some might even say that that was part of your strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wish I was just trying to be honest with the situation. Hey, I told you to do this, but we went for it. So, you know, pedal at your own will. Yeah. No, interesting. And so, I mean, you mentioned that the market right now in Nevada is that there's a a dearth of supply and, and prices are increasing. I mean, how is that? Is that just because the production went down? I mean, everyone kind of decided to rotate and, and not produce and, you know, stem that or, you know, demand up a combination of the two. What's your analysis? Not less than a month ago, I was I was telling the public, you know, Las Vegas was the most decimated city, which it was uh, because yeah. it's heavily relying on tourism. Yeah. I was telling people that uh, sales are down 80 percent. I was telling people that, you know, our prices are slashed in half so that we can sell. And we were selling out weekly at, at half the price. Production facilities were closed uh, mostly because uh, they weren't making the gummy bears and the products as much. And the big sellers were the flour, which we excelled at. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not less than one month ago. You know, now I'm telling people, you know, because the casinos did open in the last month, people are out there buying. You can see dispensaries are filled. Let's say we're about 60% from a high or even 70% from our high to be conservative. But a lot of growers took crops out of rotation and reduced strap. Well, that takes three months to get back to yeah. uh, a crop being farmed. In that time, now our prices are actually above COVID, pre-COVID times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our volumes are increasing. So this is definitely a function of the uh, the tourism coming back to some degree, a strong mm-hmm. local market that was bud buyers as opposed to product buyers. Um, there was a, you know, change and shift in buying strategies. So I would say both those two combinations are increasing it. Plus the lack of supply on the market, you know, helped us out tremendously. Yeah. What was the change in the buying strategy? The buyers, give me more information on that. Well, they switched from, you know, higher priced edibles to uh, lower priced and longer lasting uh, bud sales. So, uh, and rather than buying gr- grams and pre-rolls, people were buying half ounces and ounces and stocking up even through through the entire period, not just in the beginning. Got it. So consumer buyer behavior changed because of the situation. It's like, I'm, you know, I have to stretch my dollar a little bit more. I'm just going to buy raw flour and I'm going to buy a lot higher quantities because I I'm stocking up. But yeah, and, and probably using more because you're not at work <laughs> yeah, on a daily basis. <laughs> I'm stressed out and there's a pandemic going on in the world. All yeah. of it. Yeah. 
and so then my kind of follow-on question on all this is like, what's going to happen, right? So do we swing the pendulum too far? I mean, what do you think prices are, what are going to happen with prices in the coming months is, you know, well, people are going to, hey, prices are great. I'm going to plant a lot more. And now we swing the other way. How do you see this playing out? Absolutely. People try to get back online and yeah. get their crops back in rotation. And like I said, that's a three-month process to uh, to get back up to where you are. In the meantime, people are short of cash, so they don't have necessarily yeah. the ability to just crank up and hire people in order to support the uh, plants and the natural needs of taking care of the plants. So as one of the top 10 largest uh, producers here in the state, we're in a unique position to fill that void on why the smaller groups, the smaller indoors, um, you know, get back up to their production levels, recapitalize, hire people up and start to move their product again. Size in this case does matter. The larger Mm -hmm. grows, you know, are really supplying a large majority of the market. And, uh, you know, to that effect, we saw the writing on the wall with our successes and we're going through a three-way merger right now. So this is the heavier, the survivors, let's say, the ones that are taking care of the market, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing increased activity and financing activity and now for us, a merger activity. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the kind of the strategy behind that and what's the hope in being able to bring these companies together? What's the advantage strategically that you see in the market? Well, now we're a top 10 vertical in Nevada, and I believe we're the only uh, a private top 10 vertical that's not in a deal with a larger corporation at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the idea is Solaris Farms is a growing production house. Mm-hmm. Um, we merge with uh, two dispensaries in Las Vegas proper and mm-hmm. a new 10,000 uh, square foot production facility that just came online. Uh, So now you have a true vertical where uh, Solaris can power uh, the flower to the dispensary. Solaris Mm -hmm. can power the trim and the uh, ancillary products need to make products, whether it's, you know, the gummy bears, pills, drops, and the various products that you can make from the production side. And Mm -hmm. that can then power through the dispensary uh, for sales to the public. So, you know, it's the the complete triangle and the vertical. Uh, And it's in a much desired market. Las Vegas, still home to the largest amount of pubcos, uh, second to Florida. Yeah. And what, I mean, I guess, how do you see that market playing out? I mean, is there, as we mature, I guess, as an industry, as we mature as a you know sector, what are the driving forces here? What's going to shape cannabis or, or what's going to make cannabis companies successful in the coming quarters, years, you know, as this industry grows? Well, we've gone through a, you know, a very a downtime in cannabis for the last year and let's say a half where a lot of companies were not, they were concentrating on growth, but they weren't concentrating on good corporate governance and good financing and they thought they can raise money forever. Well, that stopped. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, uh, focus became on profitability, shedding non-performing assets, giving a realistic approach as to the opening of the markets. From the U.S. standpoint, it's the gorilla in the room, uh, $12, $13 billion in sales and legal cannabis sales. Clearly, companies that have stronger financial positions and considered profitability, those are going to be the main drivers of merger activity going forward. Canada, which can produce more product than their whole entire country will need for the next 10 to 100 years, let's say, as an exaggeration, was heavily relying on Europe opening up. Well, that didn't happen. You know, it wasn't where they thought it would be. So you see them, the large Canadian companies scaling back, not just internally selling assets and overabundance of growth, but also scaling back recently in Europe, scaling back their plans and coming to a more realistic approach. And then you have other countries, uh, South America and other 
countries, Australia and, and even Asia to some effect coming online, Africa. So you really can't put the genie back in the bottle. The, the expansion is happening and yeah. cannabis is sweeping across the globe, albeit slowly, but surely. Yeah. And was this just, this is what happens in early industries. You get these bubbles, people get super optimistic and then things don't play out. Things crash, you know, merger acquisition. Is this normal or is this, do you think this is really different or unique to cannabis? The writing was on the wall as people rushed in with capital into the uh, Canadian market, you know, mm-hmm. just flooded it with capital and they had to build what they promised to build. Um, yeah. Both sides were understandable, but both sides, you know, were not necessarily communicating as to where the demand in the future is. And also you really can't control government regulation. It moves at its own pace and it's not the most logical business pace. I mean, it moves at a different pace and it's a different drum. Yeah. U.S. kept surging. I mean, the U.S. sales kept increasing. States kept coming online. It was predictable. Some companies didn't really pay attention to their corporate governance. That's just bad management. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, everybody participated in the increase in the United States because it was there. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the merger acquisition process, I'm curious, and, and since you're coming out of finance and you know have some insights here, I'm always kind of considering the kind of the regulatory kind of challenges and issues around cannabis and maybe the investor willingness to get involved in cannabis companies. Like as we kind of shake out here and you've got some underperforming companies, underperforming assets, distressed assets that become available for acquisition. Is this, and also because, you know, that like federal bankruptcy doesn't apply and things like, I just can't help but think like it's not going to be kind of a normal run of the mill M&A kind of shakeout process because of these restrictions or do you see it now that it works like those companies will be resolved into assets and they'll be acquired and reutilized and you know the financial will be corrected how do you see this playing out well it's very specific so in one side you think okay hey i can pick up a bunch of non-performing assets and do well with that that's not necessarily what people are thinking today because it takes a long time to retool a a greenhouse or an indoor or a grow facility or or Mm -hmm. develop a brand Um, You know, just having the asset is not necessarily where people want to be these days. They want something that's successful. They want cash flow. They want profitability. They want to acquire personnel that knows what they're doing and they don't have to retool. There's not like there's a plethora of talent out there. You want to acquire something that comes with the talent and all the corporate governance in place, you know, and immediately start hitting your bottom line immediately. If you have to develop something for one, two years, if you have to retool something, well, that may not be The amount of money it's going to take to retool that grow to grow in a proper way may not be the area where you want to be concentrating on. So distressed assets aren't fine, really, buyers right now. People are looking for people that have already got their stuff together. So Mm -hmm. I would be more looking towards the larger corporations are looking for, you know, people who have it all together. And then there will be people who see value in distressed assets. Uh, There's plenty of shuttered or closed grows. You know, uh, there's plenty of people who came in and put a lot of equipment uh, that's beautiful, but they can't make it profitable. And you could pick that up at, at a reasonable price. But that has to come with those people being in pain and, and ready to sell it. And as you point out, there is no bankruptcy. There's 
only receivership. So unless you have a lot of debt, which generally there weren't a lot of financing options available, Um, private equity people may have be debt holders, you may have Mm -hmm. done a sale lease back. In those cases, those people are professionals and they will take that asset and make it perform. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, you'll have a little bit of both, but I would imagine a lot of what you're going to be reading, especially over this year and next year, similar to what we've gone through, are success stories that are coming out and merging as opposed to distressed assets that need a lot more money to be put into them. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I think that's the first time, you know, cannabis is certainly going through a correction like this or a situation like this. And so I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out and, you know, how it's similar or different from other industries when, when this happens. So it, let's talk about international stuff a little bit. You mentioned, you know, part of the challenge in Canada was that they were really kind of hoping for couple of these European companies, countries to really open up and become markets for them. I think everyone was kind of hoping that. Obviously, here in the States, it's a little problematic because of the, the regulatory legal situation we're in. We can't, we can't do export. But what do you look, or I guess, what do you see on the international side in terms of opportunities, in terms of markets? Is there anything that's really interesting for you? Give us your take on, on what's going internationally with cannabis. Well, you know, my company, Somai, is uh, building an extraction facility in Portugal and a cultivation and extraction facility in Greece. So, I do believe in the long term that Europe, which will cater to 760 million people as opposed to a state-by-state model in the United States, uh, will take hold. Now, uh, will it be this year? No. Our models predict out to, you won't really start seeing some movement until 2022, 2023, and really not till 2024. So being in a developmental stage in a country in Europe, you know, makes sense for today, tomorrow, and the next day. Uh, It's just logical business that eventually it will open up. And they are showing a lot of progress on the medical market for marijuana. And a few countries are dabbling in the recreational, which we think is even longer than 2024, 2025, besides a few countries that will come out with pilot programs. So, you know, the large population, the acceptance in Europe, it's definitely going to be there. And but it's not going to be there today. So, you know, my advice to people, which is exactly our model, is we're scaling in slowly instead of building the Taj Mahal tomorrow to uh, service the population of Europe. We're doing uh, reasonable 20, mm-hmm. 30,000 square foot uh, production facilities, 40,000, 80,000 square foot of grow, but in a very economical fashion. We're doing a smaller spend that we can scale in and we can either scale up on the properties we have or as another country comes on, we can make that same scalable model in order to service the demand as it comes. So mm-hmm. plant a flag early, don't overbuild and you know scale in slowly as the market develops. Yeah. And uh, I guess, how do you see the U.S. playing or what is going to be U.S.'s role in the global cannabis industry? Well, the U.S. is the leader in in extraction and products and even to a large extent, uh, flour. Um, There's just too many years, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Canada came online. Sure. You know, they were part of the black market back in the day, but the legalization in the United States happened uh, with California 15, 20 years ago, Colorado 10, 12 years ago. Uh, The Mm -hmm. West Coast, you know, has been developing uh, for well over a decade now uh, to some degree. And, you know, extraction and product refinement and competitive markets, consumer demands, you know, hundreds of different kinds of products. This is not something you see in Canada. This is not not something you see coming out of the Netherlands. Uh, this is not something you see in Europe, Asia, South America. So clearly we're the technological leaders you know, in the industry. We're also the largest market at $12 billion, far beyond Canada at $2, 3000000000 billion. So 
you know, the money's there, the advancement is there. If we can just get ourselves together on a federal level and stop the bickering, um, you know, <laughs> look, we could come out of this. Uh, 2019, we cannabis industry was the largest percentage increase of employment. Um, yeah. We provide jobs, we provide taxation, uh, we provide state taxation. So it's a good thing if we want to get into the export and be and continue to be leaders on a global basis that we advance. Yeah. And what do you think is going to happen? If, I mean, uh, I'll say when, not if. <laughs> we have, you know, changes in federal law, descheduling, you know, cannabis. I mean, how does that end up affecting it? Because we're in this funny situation where every state has its own kind of economy and its market and supply chain and everything. And like all of a sudden we go to this federal, you know, a, a more national industry, like that's going to be a huge shakeup. I mean, how does this play out? How do you envision this playing out? Particularly for someone like yourself at this cultivator, like you're going to be competing against folks who are in prime Northern California growing areas. How does that work? I mean, it'll be heavily competitive and it is going to be tricky with the states cordoned off. I imagine it'll look something like, you know, similar to uh, tobacco and, and alcohol where it's taxed in that state. You have a little stamp on your, your cigarette pack or your alcohol pack and it's taxed in that state. And sure, with the states like California, Oregon, where they have large swaths of production, overproduction, mm -hmm. competing from a desert grow in Nevada uh, will be different. But we have advantages because we don't have humidity. We have mm -hmm. less failure rates. Our lab testing is much more stringent. So as federal rules come in, you can expect more stringent yeah. labs than what California and, and states like Oregon and Washington are used to. And, you know, we have a plethora of sun. So we've given the, the low humidity and plethora of, of sun. Our labs should compete on a greater basis yeah. uh, than those states. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, like everything. And we position our grow right next to the uh, airport here. Uh, so we're literally a stone's throw from the airport in preparation for the future that we will be flying our product out of here. Yeah. You know, clearly way too early, but you know. <laughs> hey, well, you know what? You're, you're thinking ahead and making some decisions like that. I mean, it's, is, um, yeah, it's what creates future opportunities, right? I mean, that's why companies become overnight successes because they've been working at it for 20 years. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about any big, if I give you a magic wand and, and to change anything in the industry right now and anything that you would love to see happen or you know changes you'd like to see I, I really you know like the the openness of the industry and the flow of information that's going on today and I would like to see that increase where people are are teaching everybody and very uh, clear about the benefits of this industry I think it's it's imperative you know that a lot of old prejudices end up getting broken down even the older generation my parents generation are sampling very low dosage cannabis products to help with their arthritis um, and uh, their pain relief, dizziness, nausea, increase of, of eating. I hear this a lot from my parents' friends and it's giving them a whole new life. And so dispelling a lot of these old rumors and opening up these demographics, you know, that are used to taking a lot of pills from pharma, I think as people go away from that, I think that would be one of the greatest benefits I could see from the cannabis usage. I myself don't take pharma pills. Um, mm -hmm. So I believe that cannabis can help people and is helping people. Yeah. Michael, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, more about Solaris, more about Somai, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, you can look on our websites, www.solarisfarms.org or www.somaipharma.org. 
dot eu and uh, if you pull up my linkedin it's it's uh, probably one of my most utilized social media platforms michael sasano you'll see me great i'll make sure that the links are in the show notes here michael thank you so much for taking the time great conversation i'm excited for you and the and the recent merger congratulations on that and look forward to keeping in touch great thanks for having me on you've been listening to thinking outside the bud with business coach bruce eckfeld to find a full list of podcast episodes Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.